I was saying diversity at Leroy takes on many forms. Our diversity in our worship is truly amazing. We had Robbie in the worship team. We had children singing. And now we had the choir. It's truly a blessing, the diversity here at Leroy. Uh, my name is Pat. I joined the elders team back in July. It has been a pleasure to um, join the elders team and to help serve here at Leroy. I believe that Eric Thomas said it best a few years ago. Sometimes you just have to trust God and step out of your wagon wheel rut. See, this is a big step up for me, just not these four little ones. My wagon wheel rut runs through the basement of this building. It has been truly an honor and a privilege to uh, work with your kids in um, Sunday school. You have some wonderful kids here. Uh, most of you know I'm not Bible trained or sermon presenter trained or anything really, but uh, don't feel sorry for me. I'm in that group that should be able to stand and give an account for the hope that I have. And that is not the whimsical noun hope, but it is the Christian noun hope. The hope I'm going home to be home with uh, God in heaven that's not based on myself, but based upon the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Most of you know I was born and raised Roman Catholic. We had our feast, our festivals, and of course the seasons of Lent and Advent. Two weeks ago, Angie shared a little bit about her experiences growing up Roman Catholic in Christmas. In my family, we had a very simple Christmas Eve. Uh, Angie didn't mention anything about Midnight Mass, and that was always the center of our uh, Christmas experience. On Christmas Eve, we would have a very simple dinner, and as the kitchen was being cleaned up, presents would appear under the tree. And after a while, we'd open our presents, play with our gifts, and then it was time, time to get dressed, time to go to Midnight Mass. There were several times where I functioned as an altar boy. It was quite an experience. I'll be all honest with you. I knew nothing about Jesus. It was an interesting experience growing up. Um, I came to know Jesus um, well into my 20s. Um, let's see here. So far this Advent season, Pastor Jeff shared our greatest need and uh, God's great promise with the prophecy candle. Frank shared who Jesus was with the Bethlehem candle, the great God, the great Savior. Last week, Jeff shared from the uh, shepherd's candle the greatest news that the Savior has come. Today, I have the privilege of sharing the angel's candle. Now, I'm going to ask you for a little bit of grace so I can tell a joke somewhere in the sermon. <laughs> in, in the sermon training, you're supposed to tell one joke. <laughs> I, I realize this is a bad joke. But just as a little prelude to the joke, a little background, some of you know I have a nerve disease. I'm slowly losing control of my hands and my feet. And breathing is slowly becoming an issue. So I will be taking grass every once in a while. See, in my world, I have bad angels on this shoulder. And they have several betting pools going. Some are betting that my legs will give out first. Some are betting that I will collapse 
due to not being able to breathe. On this shoulder, I got the good angel. The good angel's just saying, go slow, take it easy, take a deep breath every once in a while, move around, keep fresh on your face. You got this. This is the Lord's day, you know. His word will be proclaimed. So I got the good angel. The part I don't understand is that the good angel has all the bad angel bets covered. <laughs> Go figure, right? All right. To be all honest with you, this sermon had many, many, many pages of materials. Um, there was a tour of heaven to introduce angels. There's four angel encounters in the Christmas story. There was a temple a tour of the Jerusalem temple to introduce Zachariah and just what he was doing. There was two very long rabbit trails. <laughs> Jeff's laughing because he's seen the emails. <laughs> and we still have the problem of it's two sermons married together somehow. Now I will say the good angel is on your side. And the good angel has been doing a lot of editing and cleaning up. And every once in a while, he'd hit me upside the head and say, hey, stupid, it's about Jesus. So today, we're just going to look at one angel encounter of the Christmas story. And we're going to look to see how that individual responded to the message the angel brought from God. Now, Anita's already read um, the study passage for this morning, which is in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And I'm not going to uh, repeat the whole passage, but just a couple verses from that passage. Um, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Mary asked, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary's response to the angel, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. In verse 45, we also find what Elizabeth had to say about Mary. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary asks a very simple question, how will this be? Some people think it's not right to ask God questions or, you know, just not. But I think if we understand a little bit about Mary and who she is, then her question will begin to make a little sense to us. And then we'll be able to appreciate God's response to her. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you that your word concludes many stories of individuals, even the story of a young maiden. Help us to understand that which sets Mary apart. Help us to appreciate Mary's faith. We pray that your word would be spoken. We pray that your word would not return void. Let our words be an encouragement and let your word be spoken with love. 
We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Well, who's Gabriel? Who are angels? He said there was a huge tour of heaven that we're not going to take. Angels are God-created creatures designed to worship and to serve him. Upon the 10,000, upon 10,000, upon 10,000, upon 10,000 angels, Gabriel is probably at the top. We know from the Zechariah encounter with the angels that Zechariah actually stands in the presence of the living God. God did not entrust this most important message to any angel. God probably sent the most highest ranking of all the angels to convey this message. Now, who is Mary? Well, you know about as much as I do. Now, you know I'm Roman Catholic, and you know that there are many other traditions out there, and they have many different understandings about Mary. But I am pretty much simple, basic Bible-believing. So let's see what we can learn from this passage we just read. I, I think this passage is going to take just four basic characteristics of Mary, and then I think there's two more characteristics which define who Mary is. First, we know from this passage and the passage in Matthew, we learn that both she and Joseph are descendants of David. The Messiah is to come from the line of David. We know that from the prophecy candle. Second, Mary is engaged to Joseph. And this is to be understood from the Jewish culture, that they are betrothed. And this is a legally binding agreement. You see, today they would be considered husband and wife, except that Mary still lives with her parents. And I know some of you think that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, during the betrothal period, the groom is off preparing a place for his bride to live in. He's either building a house, he's adding a room to mom and dad's house, or he's flipping the barn. Mary, during the betrothal period, she's off working with dad on the dowry. She's working with mom on home furnishings. Now, when the betrothal period is over and the groom has finished his preparations, the groom arranges for a giant wedding feast. The groom literally goes and gets his bride and brings her home to this wonderful marriage feast. Third thing we know about Mary from this passage, Mary is a virgin. Simply put, she has not been with a man. Matthew chapter 1 provides some level of clarity. It says, before Joseph and Mary came together, she was found to be with child. And then a little later in Matthew, it says the marriage was consummated after the birth of Jesus. Two ideas here to consider. First, both authors are pointing to the supernatural conception of Jesus in that Mary did not have any relationships with Joseph or any other man until after Jesus was born. This is the miracle. This is the mystery. We call it the incarnation. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and that which was conceived in her is of God. The second idea is it appears that Mary and Joseph had a normal family life. 
after Jesus was born. This simple reading of scripture is important in understanding that uh, Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters, some of which are named in the scriptures. It allows for one half-brother named James, James to be um, the leader of the Jerusalem church and most likely the author of the book of James. And you know, this James is literally described as James, the Lord's brother. A fourth characteristic we need to consider is that Mary is favored. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You know that phrase, you who are highly favored. One commentary pointed out this is a unique pairing of two Greek words, which appear only twice in Scripture. Once in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, and we're going to turn there there in a minute, and again here in this Luke passage. Now, when you get into Greek, that went over my head. It's probably left for the professionals like uh, Jeff. But we need to understand a little bit about when the angel said highly favored, what did that mean? In some ways, the Greek implied that the angel addressed Mary with a title. And that title left Mary confused. Ever watch Downton Abbey on PBS? Yeah, people of nobility are dressed with titles. You have the king, you have the queen, you have your lordship, you have your duke, your earl, you have your ladyship. You, you get the picture of what a title looks like. A servant addresses a person of nobility with the title. Now, how do these people get their titles? It's their birthright. They don't do anything. Maybe they married into the title, but it's not something they've done. Yeah. To understand this title that the angel used, we must also look at the other passage using this unique combination of Greek words. We need to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. This is the breathing break. It starts in verse 3. It says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to the sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. In Luke, the two Greek words translated highly favored. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, they're translated glorious grace. Now, what is this glorious grace? It's God's benevolence towards us. It's the giving of his son that we may enter into a right relationship with him and to be called his sons and daughters. His glorious grace is further clarified in verses 6 and 7. It is freely given. In fact, it's clarified it is lavishly given to us. Second, the grace comes with redemption. 
It comes with the forgiveness of sins. Another thing to consider in the Ephesian passage is the worst of the use of the word us. In Paul's use of the word us, God's grace is directed towards all of humanity. For humanity, there is a path of salvation through God's grace. It should be noted that there is no salvation. There is no path of salvation for the angels. There is no path in all of Scripture for the redemption of a fallen angel. Salvation is for humanity. Yeah. As in the titles used in Downton Abbey, where the people come by their title by birthright and not by something they did, this title used by the angel is not based on something that Mary did, but is based on her birthright. Mary is a daughter of Adam. Mary is created first in God's image and is with all of humanity. Mary is a sinner and stands separated from God. But through his high favor, God's glorious grace, there is a path of salvation for Mary through his son, Jesus. Now, when the angel addressed Mary with the title of highly favored, the angel is acknowledging humanity's special place in God's purpose. The angel also acknowledges there's no path of salvation for the fallen angels. Humanity, as in the case of Mary, is truly highly favored. Now, this is not to say that Mary was born sinless or that she had a sinless life or was somehow pure or had a good heart or showed good works. In the eyes of the angel, Mary is favored because God has shown his favor on all of humanity. In fact, Mary seems a little confused by the angel's greeting. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Maybe she just doesn't understand how God has shown his favor on us. Now, if you have one takeaway from this sermon, please understand that your destiny is not to become an angel, but you are to become a child of God, created in his image, saved through his son. Four things which set Mary apart, right? She's a descendant of David. She's betrothed to Joseph. She's a virgin. And as with all of humanity, she is highly favored. I'm going to take that drink of water again. Mm. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah, I have this echo coming back a little bit. I apologize for that. I'll try to sip silently next time. <laughs> you know, sometimes I like to think God sits up in his throne room and he looks out over his creation. I think he's really uh, amazed uh, sometimes. And um, in the book of Job, looking out over creation, God asks us, have you considered my servant Job? And I think in the Christmas story, I, I think God is sitting in his throne room. He's looking out over creation, and he asks us, have you considered my servant, Mary? 
I think there's two more very important characteristics about Mary which truly define her and set her apart. For the fifth characteristic, let's look back at our text. The angel announces to Mary in verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Mary answers the angel in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Did you notice God is not asking Mary if she would be the mother of Jesus? God is declaring his will. Mary is to be the mother of Jesus. Did you notice in Mary's response? She's not agreeing with God as if they made some sort of a pact or some sort of arrangement or agreement. Mary simply accepts. God's will for her life. And Mary accepts. And with that acceptance comes a level of obedience. I think sometimes we kind of break the two. um, And we say, yeah, okay, we're going to go do this, God, but we never get around to doing it. There's this level of obedience here. Mary literally goes and becomes the mother of Jesus. It's an interesting contrast, right, between the words. One is called asking versus declaring, agreeing versus accepting. God declared his will, and Mary accepted and obeyed. In Mary's answer, did you notice there is no negotiations? Mary does not ask for a weekly stipend of 50 denarius a week or the east wing of the palace after Jesus becomes king. Nor does she ask for this Jedi mind trick where everyone sees sweet little Mary and not the pregnant teenage adulteress. Hang on to that thought. For the sixth characteristic of Elizabeth, we need to look at what Elizabeth had to say about Mary. We know Mary's story continues, right? After the angel left Mary, Mary traveled from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea to spend time with Zachariah and Elizabeth. These two women, they meet and they exchange these most wonderful greetings. You should take time to read all of Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 this Christmas season. And And Elizabeth's greeting to Mary in verse 41, we find... Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. See, the sixth characteristic of Mary is that she simply trusts God at his word. And what was his promise to her? Mary will have a son who will be the Messiah, the Savior who would save his people. Mary just simply trusts God at his word. In Mary's question, when she says, how will this be? Mary's not asking. She's not trying to figure out how to accomplish that which is being requested of her. Mary could have asked, am I supposed to marry Joseph and we'll have a son and he's to be the Messiah? Or am I to look for another husband? See, those are all human ways of trying to figure out how to accomplish God's plan. No, Mary just simply asks, 
how is God going to make this happen? And the angel provides a simple answer. God is going to do this. His spirit will come over you, and you will be with child. The older versions of the Bible conclude this passage with, where nothing is impossible with God. Two very important characteristics, I think, that just define and set Mary apart. And one is that she accepts God's will for her life and that she truly trusts God at his word. You know, the hymnist would sum it all up with a very simple verse, trust and obey, for there is no other way. Two characteristics to strive for, trusting God at his word and accepting your will, his will for your life. Let's call Mary's faith a simple living faith. It's based on that trust, acceptance. Now, I suppose I'm supposed to recall some event in my life where I exhibit Mary's kind of faith or describe some famous person's trusting of God. I think we need just to take a moment and allow you to think for a second about your faith in the Lord. Do you take God at his word? Do you accept God's will for your life? Now, I told you this sermon had many, many pages of material. And what I think we're going to do next is we're going to speed through the other three angel encounters. See, we have Mary's faith. It's a simple, it's alive, it's based on trust and acceptance. I think there's three other kind of faiths in the Christmas story. And I just want to touch on those three real quick, just so you can see the breadth of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 1, we also learn about Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is actually the first angel encounter in the Christmas story. They live in the hill country of Judea. Zechariah is the local priest, rabbi, pastor, teacher, shepherd of the local community. And he sometimes works in the temple in Jerusalem. This couple is well beyond childbearing age and are childless. This couple has prayed for a child since they were first married. Now, the people of the community kind of view them with a certain level of shame that somehow God has withheld a blessing from them. And, you know, this is not good. You see, there is no temple pension plan. There's no 401ks. There's no Social Security. There's no retirement savings. In old age, all that there really is is family. And this couple does not have family. One day while working in the temple, Zechariah visited, was visited by an angel. And the angel simply stated, your prayer for a child has been answered. Now to me, you know, Praise God, right? Answered prayer, you get the high five, you know. But we know from Luke that uh, Zachariah's response was less than stellar. Patrick's paraphrase version, you have to give me some grace there. It's, it would sound something like, yeah, right, that ain't happening. You see my wife? You're way too old for that. <laughs> You're going to have to show me a big sign before I would believe 
what you just told me. You're left with a quandary, right? How did this man of faith who's in service to the Lord express such a moment of doubt and disbelief? Yeah, I have what I call Zachariah. Zachariah shows what I call duty faith. As the prayer for a child goes unanswered through the years, his faith gets knocked down a little bit and a little bit, where he's basically just going through the motion. You know, he does his rabbi job, he does his temple job, but he's just going through the motion. His faith is truly not alive to him. And because his faith's not alive, he misses things like answered prayer. We know from Luke chapter 1 that God goes ahead and blesses Zachariah and Elizabeth with a child, John the Baptist. And we also know from Luke that God chose to discipline Zechariah for his unbelief. What do preachers and rabbis do? They talk. Yeah, that's what we do. And poor Zechariah, he had nine months of silence. The interesting thing to note is, is that when Zechariah did exactly what the angel told him and named his son John, the discipline was lifted, and the first words out of his mouth was, Praise God. <laughs> yeah, let's call Zachariah's faith a duty faith, a faith that's on life support. We know Mary's story continues. We know she went to visit Zachariah and Elizabeth, and probably after the birth of John, she returned home to Nazareth. We're going to resume in Patrick's paraphrased version. As Mary stepped out of the caravan, everyone was yelling, Mary's home, Mary's home. Sounds of joys turn to whispers as Mary sees, as other people begin to see the baby bump. And Mary makes it home, steps into her parents' house, and she can see on her parents' face. Her parents could see that the rumors are true. Mary's pregnant. There's a silence. There's a sadness. There's a rejection. And there's a lot of disappointment. Mary's pregnant. Joseph shows up. What's the first words out of his mouth? Not my baby. Not my baby. The fight begins between dad and Joseph. Gets heated. Mary interrupts. She confirms that Joseph is not the father. Mary explains about the angel. She explains about how the Holy Spirit came over her and that which is conceived in her is of God. The fight resumes as if there's Mary was never heard. Joseph goes home, and we know from Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph purposes in his heart to divorce Mary. Joseph exhibits what I call a legalistic kind of faith. See, the law would allow him to divorce his pregnant betrothed wife because it's not his child. The legalistic faith is kind of based on what you think is right, what you think you need to be doing. It's based on your works. This kind of faith does not allow for God. This faith is dead and will not lead to salvation. Now, there are two very powerful words in the English language, and they go like this, but God. 
We know that God sent an angel to Joseph. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 starts. But after he considered this, the divorce Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. We know from the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus, uh, Joseph obeyed the angel, and he took Mary home to be his wife, and to be the stepfather of Jesus. It's kind of a legalistic kind of faith. Well, we know Mary's story continues, right? Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem. And while they were in Bethlehem, Jesus was born. Remember those 10,000 upon 10,000 upon 10,000 upon 10,000 angels? Yeah, they, they burst forth into a praise and worship service. They are celebrating that the Messiah has been born. This praise and worship service breaks out over the shepherds' heads in the field. Yeah, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 10, says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Yeah. The angels have what I call an awe-inspired faith. The angels respond to their angelic message. It's just kind of amazing to me. They simply stop doing what they're doing, and they go and see what the Lord has done. Isn't that amazing? They're supposed to be guarding the sheep in the field, but it's more important to them to go see what the Lord has done. That's awe-inspiring. So we have our four angel appearances in the Christmas story, and we have our four kinds of faith. We have Zachariah's duty kind of faith, just going through the motions. It's a faith on life support. We have a Mary's faith, a faith which is built on trust and acceptance and obedience to God's word. We have Joseph's faith, a faith that's based on legalism. And then we have the shepherd's faith, a faith that is awe-inspired. Yeah, four kinds of faith. Now, you remember how I told you this was kind of two sermons smashed together? Well, I just wanted to pick up the closing points from the other sermon. So if you want to sit for a second and think about how you just sat through another whole 45-minute sermon... And we're going to come up to the conclusion, the conclusion of that second sermon. Well, we'll skip the water because you hear me swallowing. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to drink anyway. It's actually pretty dry up here. And there it was again.
I suppose I could go on mute. You know, Paul summarizes the gospel in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to save. We cannot affect our salvation. We cannot pay for all our sins or right all the wrongs that we have done, nor can we earn our way into heaven. It's God's gift. God gives us Jesus, we are to, and with that comes the salvation and the eternal life. You know, we so worry and stress out over this Christmas gift-giving and gift-receiving thing. I, I don't have that um, love language called gift-giving. It's just not in my DNA. Yeah. You can ask my wife. <laughs> but, you know, we so stress out over it. You know, John chapter 1 has the ultimate solution for this gift-giving, receiving stress thing. It's one gift given by God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, To those who received him, to them God gave the right to become his sons. God gave the gift of his son. And we are to receive that gift that God so freely offers it's through his gift of Jesus that we can have forgiveness for sins and that we can enter back into a right relationship with God as his children. What does it mean to receive him? What do you have to do with a gift? You have to grab onto it, right? You have to make it yours. You have to make it personal. You just can't leave the gift sitting on the table. Yeah. That's what it means to receive him. You know, we only need to look back at today's story, uh, Mary's story, Elizabeth's greeting. Mary, Elizabeth says of Mary, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And it is the belief in God and that God will do what he has promised. This is the faith that results in receiving Jesus. It's a Mary's faith. It's a faith that trusts and obeys God at his word. Last page. Oh, I appreciate your patience. It's been a big step up for me. Now, as we close, I do have a few questions for you. I'll be honest first. I did get one comment back on my sermon. The good angel said I was a little hard on Joseph calling his faith uh, a legalistic faith that was dead and whatnot. But in some ways, well, he can get his own sermon, right? <laughs> but i just showing you that there's four different kinds of faiths displayed. And so as we go through these couple questions, um, ask yourself, where are you on this spectrum? Maybe you have that Joseph legalistic, that self-righteous kind of faith that follows all the rules and you think you're doing what you need to be doing to get to heaven. That faith doesn't allow for God. It doesn't allow for what Jesus did on the cross. Well, there's a much better way, a way that will result in true life, 
salvation, eternal life. And it's a simple faith in God and believing in what he has done, the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Turn to Jesus. Truly draw close to him. Maybe you have that Zachariah duty kind of faith, just going through the motions. That's me. I had to preach this sermon to myself many times. I can come here on Sunday mornings for prayer, for Sunday school worship. I can come back on Wednesday nights. Please come on Wednesday night for prayer. We have a great time on Wednesday night in prayer. I can even go to a Friday morning uh, men's Bible study. And sometimes it feels like just going through the motions. It's a faith on life support. I had to preach this sermon to myself. Just know that God is there. He's always there, and he's always working to bring about his will. God wants to have a deeper relationship with you. He wants to draw, wants you to draw close to him. He wants you to have a faith that is truly alive. Turn to him. Maybe you have that Mary kind of faith where you believe in God's promises and you're following after him. Maybe you have that awe-inspired kind of faith of the angels, of the shepherds, I'm sorry, that awe-inspired faith of the shepherds and would drop anything and go and see what the Lord has done. All I ask you to do is do what the shepherds did on their way back to the fields, on the way back to the flocks. They told people about Jesus. Make an effort this season to share your faith and tell people what God has done in your life. Maybe you're not sure, or you don't understand this thing about receiving God's gift, Jesus. That's okay. Many of us do not understand our separation from God due to our sins. Many of us think we're all going to heaven. Many of us think we know what we need to do to get to heaven. For some of us, we're waiting for some great sign, some great miracle for it all to make sense. I'd have you do two things. First, find someone in this room and grab onto them and say, hey, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about how you came to place your faith and trust in the one true God. The second thing I'd have you do, I'd have you simply ask God for a faith for a faith that would allow you to trust him, for a faith that would allow you to see Jesus as the perfect, the greatest gift. Thank you. I appreciate your patience. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just um, thank you for your word. We thank you how your word includes stories and individuals and their walk with you. We thank you that we can learn and see how different people have different faiths, whether it be that legalistic or it be that duty or it be alive, a simple faith. We praise you. We thank you. And it is our prayer that during this season that people would turn to you, draw close to you, and to put their faith and trust in your son, Jesus. 
as their Lord and Savior. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.